Uh, David, um, when you have a chance after worship, I'd like to speak to you. <laughs> and you know what it's about. So, oh, I'm, uh, the guy behind. Isn't that awkward? Isn't that awkward? We, we've, got, we've got something to deal with today, thank you, Jesus, um, to kind of find our way through. So I hope you, uh, you bear with me um, and, and see what we can figure out. You know, we're talking about the uh, teachings of Jesus, and, and we're wanting to take as good a look as we can at what actually was said and the context in which it was said, and then see how it applies to us and how, how best we can apply it. To us, and we've looked at faith, faith and citizenship. We've looked at judging and judgmentalism, and we've looked at love your enemies. And today we look at uh, I'm going to call it reconciling relationships, rather than we're looking at calling each other out. That that might be another name for the sermon, but I'm calling it reconciling relationships. And if you think about it, I don't have to give you any illustrations if you just take a step back and think about the morning's news or the news yesterday or what you see going on in the community and all. If you just look around, if you haven't been under a stone for a while, you will know that these four sermons have a great deal to say with us, to us, and, and, they, and they kind of relate to one another. So I, I hope that you... you have been taking some mental notes or, or physical notes as we go through this and try to pull it together because today's sermon really uh, stands on some of the insights of the prior three sermons in the application for our lives. So I begin with our major, major concern, and it will be with us uh, each Sunday as we do this, hearkening back to Jesus' teachings, and that is, are these Jesus' words? Did Jesus say this? Now, I've mentioned that the Jesus Seminar uses an evaluative kind of process, and, and they don't see this whole passage as likely being out of Jesus' mouth. They do see part of this passage as being anchored in the Q source, and what is the Q source? It is the sayings of Jesus. So now what do they mean by saying that? It doesn't seem likely to be from Jesus, but it seems likely to be from the sayings of Jesus. So there's a little bit of dissonance in my mind. And as I go to this, I look at this passage with the thoughts that I think we've got here um, something from Jesus, whether this is verbatim or not. These, this is a teaching of Jesus. But I want to say more about that in a little bit because I think it echoes things Jesus said, yet I also think it exaggerates some of the things Jesus... I'm not so sure that Jesus said. But we'll get into that, and we'll want to, we'll want to think with one another about that because he might have... He said he was coming to perfect the law, not to do away with the law. So keep that in mind as we get long 10 minutes from now. So Luke's version of this, which is believed to be the closest to Q, the sayings of Jesus, reads this way. And it is only this big. 
If another disciple sins, you must rebuke the offender. And if there is repentance, you must forgive. And if the same person sins against you seven times a day and turns back to you seven times and says, I repent, you must forgive. Hmm. Now, rebuke, or in another translation, scold, is, is kind of a strong word, isn't it? Kind of a strong, kind of a strong word. If we think about Jesus, well, he did rebuke some people. He rebuked the Pharisees. He went into the temple and rebuked the money changers. And in a kind of a passive way, he rebuked the adulterer accusers. Remember that writing in the... Yet, that was Jesus, friends. That was the Christ. One us. One us. And when you combine... When you combine his caution about self-righteousness and judgmentalism, it makes some sense that maybe just this part with a dosage of accountability that's informed by mercy and grace is what Jesus might be saying. So I kind, of, I kind of take this as a simple and direct statement of living in truth, living in truth with one another and living in compassion with one another and seeking reconciliation and restoration with one another rather than enmity and war with one another. As often as it needs and is desired to be done. To my thinking, this passage, this aspect, this, this part, this beginning part of this passage, is, is the closest to Jesus' thinking, in that it underscores the need for honest and genuine relationships. He was big on that, wasn't he? This is not Dilge, right? This is Jesus. He was big on that kind of stuff. Relationships that are open to improvement and growth in the light of loving counsel or edification with one another. So I give this instruction heavy weight in my world as being words of Jesus that we should be paying attention to. We are to care for one another. We are to help one another. And at times, truthfully, frankly, that loving of others might be a little bit more rough, a little bit more dicey, a little bit more confrontive, or harder to do, or harder to bear. 
Yet it is necessary for the individual, if we are on a growth trajectory in our lives, it's necessary for that individual and the community. Those of you who are in the helping profession know that you give people words of advice to help them. And sometimes you say, no, 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 you've got that wrong. It's like this. Or, or you might say, well, you know, that's an, interesting, that's an interesting take on consumption of fats. But you might want to think about this, <laughs> right? We'll circle back to, to this injunction and its application for us in a minute since I think this part of the saying of Jesus is, is most germane to us. But I, I, I want to get on to this other part of it, which is typically thought of as not out of Jesus' mouth, but more out of the writers of Scripture trying to make what Jesus has said applicable in their time. Because you will recall there were no Sony... Uh, dictation machines in Jesus' day. Um, so, so what we've got are people's memories of Jesus, and they're people's memories of what he did and what he said, later on written down, remembered in their context of interaction with Jesus or how it was passed on to them. So this part that's attached to Q is out of the Old Testament. It's out of... Well, it's in Leviticus, but it's out of Deuteronomy also. The Hebrew law about how to get along with some people or how to correct people because it's important that the whole group of us as we journey from Egypt uh, elsewhere that we all walk together. We don't have to walk in lockstep, but we've got to be walking in the same direction. We've got to kind of be of the same mind of, of what we're doing. We've got to get along. Matthew's gospel words are, are an application and an expansion of this Hebrew law out of Deuteronomy where one accuser is not enough. It's not enough just for David to say to me, ah, blah, 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 blah. David's got to come with another David and another David to say to me, ah, yeah, 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 yeah. For, for me to really, for others to take the critique seriously and to say, Dilge, you ought to be listening to that. One accuser is not enough. Two or three is, is what you need. And should it be that that accuser is actually lying, what that accuser was expecting as a punish for me is going to be turned around and given back to that accuser. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, hand for a hand, death for a death, whatever it is. If, if the accusation against me proves to be false, then what would have been the punishment of that accusation is applied to the accuser as a lesson. Don't be messing with lying. Don't be messing with lying. It comes back and bites you. So that's the Hebrew law. And as the early church was moving forward, it was coming out of that Hebrew tradition, melding with that Gentile tradition, and trying to take Jesus' words and have it make some sense into their community. And they were getting to the place of where they needed to have some conformity in what they believed. 
The connection of the Jewish law to Jesus' encouragement to finding a way to get along is thought to represent, this is a biblical commentator, the concern of the emerging church community to develop procedures of dealing with deviant behavior. That's not what we're going to like going forward. Clean up your act or get out. Now, putting as good a spin on it as can happen, uh, Professor Boring writes, although the sin is a matter of community concern, the private conversation between the offended and the offender is to avoid embarrassment. Commitment to the priority of life together in community does not mean a lack of sensitivity to the feelings of other persons, but precisely the opposite. Only by such sensitivity and care can people live together in a new family of God gathered by Jesus. Well, if you could follow that, I want you to join me in handing it to Professor Boring for doing the very best he could to make that sound nice. Serious and stringent though these procedures are, they are in the context not of self-righteous vindictiveness, but of radical caring for the marginal and straying and of grace and forgiveness beyond all imagining, 70 times seven forgiveness. So we would hope and I pray that that spirit is what has animated the following through of that kind of law of the community. Yet, as we all recall from our readings of church history, self-righteousness does seem to raise its ugly head as does various expressions of prejudice among us. And people end up not only being expelled, but burnt at the stake, drawn and quartered, killed on the rack. Ugh. Is that Jesus' intention? And remember, to the contrary of expulsion, remember how much Jesus kept welcoming uh, the sinners and the tax collectors into his orbit in hopes that, that a light would dawn upon them that the hoped-for change of God in their heart would occur. Rather than banishing them away from him or away from the sustenance of life, Jesus kept welcoming them in. So now, which is it, Jesus? Do you want us to kick them out? Or do you want us to try to welcome them in? and love them into the better place. I think we've learned in these earlier weeks 
that Jesus had an understanding of this type of judgmentalism and demonizing among people, and he sought to teach us to act differently. So for me, this expulsion kind of principle is an exaggeration in, in addition to the spirit of Jesus' words that came out of maybe a very real dilemma that the early church was feeling that it needed to hunker down and define Jesus in a certain way and define ethical behaviors in a certain way. And they felt very pressed by all of that. And so they reached back into their heritage and they brought that thing forward and they tried to season it with the, with the dressing of Jesus. So let's step back a bit before we get totally confused or angry with me. And just look at what's in front of us. If the, if the Jewish law passage is, is more the work of the early church following addressing their need for conformity in their ranks, then, then what would you say in, in your spiritual wisdom, what would you say we're left with that's more Jesus-y, more like Jesus? To me, it would be the call for reconciliation in our relationships with a, a liberal dosage of forgiveness as a way by which to enable it. This fits right into the thoughts of what I think Jesus meant as he spoke about judging and judgmentalism and about loving your enemy. That somehow, in not being judging and judgmental, but being discerning of rights and wrong, ethicals and unethicals, healthy and unhealthy, somehow in the discerning of that, we want to continue in helpful relationship with one another and help one another towards the good rather than kicking each other in the pants out the door. And this is actually a way of making it, making the work of loving enemy, making the work of not being judgmental more concrete for us. It's just that you're not supposed to be judgmental but you're not supposed to be judgmental as you live in love with one another and try to help one another. As you love your enemies, you're called to somehow be in relationship with that enemy and be helpful to that enemy, to disarm that enemy somehow, to heal that enemy somehow. And to do it in a non-judgmental, non-self-righteous, humble, spiritual way. So this is trying to grapple with the, the particulars of the concrete of how do we humans do that? Can we do that? And not just give lip service to loving enemies and not being judgmental, but how do we actually go about loving our neighbor?
Now, typically, if, if our humble, spiritual, spiritually centered discernment in, in, in that place, as best as we try to do that, we're very prayerful about all of this, and we're doing the best we can not to have it be an ego gig, but rather to be a spiritual discernment and connection with somebody. When we perceive somebody else being unjust or unholy, sinful would be the word, right? To, to ourselves or to some others. Or maybe that person is just posturing him or herself as, as an enemy towards other people that, it, that doesn't personally affect you, but it affects you because you care for those other people. What should we do? Well, we have two tried and true ways that we humans have developed. The first is we get super angry and we blow up at that person. That's one of our go-to responses. Right? And the second go-to response is that we get super hurt and we withdraw and abandon that person. We smash them over the head or we get out of their world. That's our typical responses. And Jesus is saying, hey, friends, friends, I've got a third response. I've, I've got another way. I've got another way of doing this because the super angry way or the super hurt withdrawal way doesn't work. Doesn't really seem to work. You either start a war or you withdraw and atomize yourself. They're not good ways of resolving the issue at hand or reconciling the relationship, right? Now, I don't know that any of you have tried option one or option two in your lives. My guess is that if I wanted to call us all out to be accountable and be honest about it, we've done both, right? And, and probably um, we know how effective those ways are. So I think Jesus had a different idea, and I, and I get that from taking the breath of his teachings and think about his advice, how, how it could be worded, maybe like this. Have a thoughtful and a genuine conversation with the other person. That is led, your intentionality as you enter into it is love, and the goal of the process is love. And whatever it might take, make plenty of room in that conversation for the honesty of repentance and forgiveness. Whether it will be you that's doing the one or you that's doing the other. Know that your goal is loving your neighbor not adding another notch of self-righteousness to your, wherever you keep track of them. I don't know where that is. 
Seek that which heals and transforms and improves things, individually and collectively, since we live in relationships. We do. Can't help it. A bunch of people tethered together in various relationships. And here is where you would layer in, where you would layer in all those good things you learned from Greg uh, Beaker, Pastor Beaker, on his, on his class that we had, or you've learned from your psychology classes with good communication skills, things like that, you know, how you, how you need to listen well, how you really need to listen to what the other person is saying, not just be biding your time for when you might make your remark, that you need to reflect back what you've heard for accuracy so that person knows that you really did listen and you actually have listened because you can reflect back what you heard. That you want to experiment with perceiving the circumstance, the world, whatever, from that person's point of view by your good listening. You want to try to struggle to, uh, in, in that old-fashioned phrase of get in their shoes. You want to struggle to try to see what it looks like from their point of view and why it looks like that from their point of view so that you might be able to understand what's behind their point of view through your good listening. And then as you think about sharing yourself into the conversation. You want to use your I statements rather than the accusatory you statements, the non-blaming and argumentative words rather than things that are argumentative and blaming. There's a whole bunch of stuff that we could learn from good communication skills that would be a part of this. Jesus didn't break out Psych 101 communication book and tell us stuff like this, right? But am I wrong in saying that that's where Jesus is driving? That Jesus is asking us to bring to bear the best of our abilities to love one another, even through the most difficult of circumstances. And so you might, you might follow the, the Jewish law as a community of faith, and, and you might want to make a point of privately talking to somebody else. That's not bad advice. That's good advice. Don't embarrass somebody in front of somebody else. You wouldn't want to be called out and embarrassed in front of other people. Do it privately. And, and in the good of that conversation, there may be uh, misunderstandings and healings and things that happen that just leave it right there. Yet it might be that the person is really being destructive and not, and not uh, hearing and seeing what is being said about their behavior or their words. And then that, that Hebrew law is not, not so bad in, in that it's saying, well, go to the person with a couple other people who can actually hear the conversation between you and this other person and add a sense of perspective, call you out if you're being wrong in what you're saying, or, or call the other person out, but kind of, kind of referee 
or hear well and share point of view. Have any of you ever been in a situation where you go, I didn't realize I was doing that. I didn't understand. You mean it's not just you that has that sense of me? It's, it's a few of you? Hmm. Then it must be real, actually, that I do come across that way. It's not just the squirreliness of this one person who's taking offense, but it, I, really, I really do do that. Because hmm. most people don't want to be difficult, right? Most people do want to try to love and be in good relationship. And sometimes they just can't see. Well, you can see the application of Jesus' words and the difficulty of Jesus' words um, in all of our life circumstances. We certainly, as a congregation, have been through um, times of challenge, of listening well to one another and responding well to one another and, and trying to seek what is um, the truth of the spirit in the conversation and where we might need to correct ourselves or where we might need to hold on tight and continue to move forward. And, and we've had multiple situations like that individually and collectively as a church. So there really is no simple answer to it except to try to seek to love people as best you can as you want to be loved as best as others can. And in the context of that, how can we understand one another? How can we help one another? How can you help me be the better person God wants me to be? And how can I help you be the better person God wants you to be? And can we find ways to care enough for one another to be helpful to one another in this murky territory? of relationships. Well, I think it's Jesus' intention that we can and we should and we will. Amen.